With almost 100,000 rugby fans expected to descend on the country over the next six weeks, the Rugby World Cup has been lauded as a shot in the arm for the economy that will have spin-off benefits for years to come. But not everyone agrees on just how big the boost will be. In this Radio New Zealand Insight, Rowan Quinn looks at whether the biggest party New Zealand's ever hosted will deliver the goods or just leave the country with a big hangover. New Zealand's about to face the challenge of hosting the biggest sporting event in its history. This year's Rugby World Cup will be a far cry from the last one hosted here, the inaugural tournament in 1987. All the old boys from 87, we're pretty proud of the fact that we won it. First one's up, we won it. We were back then in the amateur model and we done it for the, for the reasons of loving the game rather than getting paid to play the game. Former All Black Wayne Buck Shelford was part of the only All Black team to lift the cup. He played in the days when fans still stormed the pitch and players earned an expense allowance of about $30 a day for competing. The tournament as a whole was very, very different to the modern day tournament. It was in its infancy, it was a new idea put together by New Zealand and Australia and I don't think a lot of the IRB nations supported it in a big way. I think a lot of them were waiting for it to fail big time. From that uh, conception, it, it's grown into a, a juggernaut and it's just got bigger and bigger and, and now it's a multi-million dollar business. An events expert, Anne Heinsohn, says that kind of upsizing doesn't come cheap. And like many sports tournaments, the Rugby World Cup has had to move with the times. The commercial reality of, of what comes out of those events, um, that certainly drives them now. So it, it, it is about the money in most cases. Um, so I think that's changed the way that the, the events are allocated because there's a whole lot of factors that come into it. It can be political, it can be economic. Politically, both the government and the rugby union are indeed selling the cup as a money-making opportunity. It's not enough just to throw a good party. There has to be something in it for New Zealanders, for voters. One of the chief cheerleaders is the head of the International Rugby Board, Mike Miller. The reason why governments get involved and the reason why the New Zealand government got involved is because there's a massive boost to the economy. There's going to be 95,000 visitors coming from abroad, and they don't come here for a day or two. Uh, they're coming here for, on average, 23 days. That's 23 days, 95,000 people spend a lot of money in the country, hotel, food, travel, buying New Zealand goods. And at an update on the latest preparations in Auckland, the Minister for the Rugby World Cup, Murray McCulley, agrees. He says the government will lose about $39 million on the cup, but it will be worth it. We'll earn many hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, value for New Zealand, not just the GST and the other taxes we collect, the economic activity generated by the event, but the real legacy value is the message that this is a great place to do trade and create economic partnerships. That so-called legacy value, the profile and connections that will yield returns for years to come, is questioned by some economists. But few argue that the initial hit from the estimated 95,000 visitors will bring some form of economic payoff. The ANZ chief economist, Cameron Bagri, says you only have to look at other big sporting events to see what it can mean. If we look at a, a benchmark, say the 2005 Lions Tour, we saw a quarterly GDP number of 1.7%, which is bigger than Ben Hur. Now, the New Zealand economy was strong at that stage, 
but I suspect it wasn't that strong. So these one-off events uh, do carry a lot of bang for their buck. Using the 2003 Australian Rugby World Cup as a starting point, the Reserve Bank estimates foreign visitors will spend $700 million here. The lion's share of that will go to those on the front lines of tourism. At Wellington Stadium, it's hoped near sellout crowds will come with bulging wallets and a willingness to spend. But from the concourse outside the stadium, the principal economist from the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research, Shamabil Jacob, questions how far the money will be spread around. If you look at a whole bunch of uh, people from England coming to visit New Zealand, a lot of these people would have come anywhere and they probably would have spent similar amounts of money. But because the hotel rates are so high, instead of spending it on food and alcohol, they're going to spend it in hotel rooms. So there is a bit of a balancing act here. And yes, there are some benefits and they're very targeted for people in hospitality, people in transport, people in uh, accommodation. But for the rest of the economy, the benefits tend to be very, very small. And this whole sort of trickle-down thing is really quite marginal. An IRB-commissioned survey by Deloitte's in 2008 tried to set out the economic impact of the cup. It estimated the direct gains to be more than a billion dollars, saying it would contribute nearly half a billion to GDP. But Shamabil Jakob, who's an expert in forecasting and modelling, says if other large sporting events are anything to go by, the figures are very unlikely to stack up in the final tally. Now, if you look at the studies that are done before the event happens, then the benefit is obviously very, very large, and usually sort of averages around 1% of GDP. So this is quite significant. But then if you look at all the studies that are done after the event, you know, once you know what, exactly what has happened, the average contribution seems to be much smaller, somewhere at 0.1% of GDP. He says those commissioning the reports often have an interest in finding the most favourable way to present the figures. The people who sponsor the analysis and get the analysis done tend to be the ones who are bidding for the work or are trying to promote the games. So, you know, with economics, it's very much a religion. It's kind of, you know, what you assume, what your beliefs are, and you, you, know, you can cut a story so many different ways. But when we look at the evidence of post-event studies where you know, it was very hard-nosed about did it really add much to the economy, the net benefit tends to be very small. A Reserve Bank senior economics advisor, Michael Riddell, says not all of the money will stay here. About a third of all the spending in New Zealand goes on imports, and that will be no different for the tourists. That might be the petrol that they're spending on their motorhome, it might be um, some of the goods that they're buying in our shops. Um, it, it, it also affects the, um, the costs of the tournament itself. So the organisers of the tournament are having to pay um, a hosting fee to the IRB and, and, and part of their expenditure will be on items that are imported, all of which effectively is financed by the revenue coming from those visitors. The Reserve Bank is also sceptical about the big numbers being thrown around, saying it's difficult to predict just how much the cup will yield. It says the high New Zealand dollar could mean that those that come here spend less than planned. And some, like those in Australia, where their high dollar can take them almost anywhere, may not bother to come at all. One of the reasons that we highlight why the benefits here may not be as large as we would have hoped is the fact that the exchange rate is relatively high. So New Zealand will get a lot of visibility through the period of the Rugby World Cup and international media, but somebody clicking on a website and saying, ooh, how about a holiday in New Zealand, will realise that actually right at the moment with the exchange rate at these levels, it's quite expensive to come here. So fewer of them perhaps will take that step than might have uh, in more normal times. 
But the ANZ's Cameron Bagri doesn't believe the strength of the dollar is going to have a big impact on what visitors spend or whether they come here. He says the currency value tends to affect spending over a longer period and will probably not have a big effect on the many tourists who are coming halfway around the world for a long-planned special trip. The sort of people are going to be turning up, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Whether the currency moves three to five cents between when you book the trip versus when you actually turn up, I don't think it's going to have too much of a difference on terms of how much money people spend here on the day. So whether or not they're spending up large or tightening their belts, visitors are still coming. Cameron Bagri believes the benefits from the Rugby World Cup will be significant, especially because of the timing. He says the rest of the world's economy is looking fragile, but New Zealand now has a buffer. The global economy at the moment is very frail. It, it, it's very uncertain. Now, what people need in that environment is a reason for hope, you know, a, a reason to not wrap themselves in cotton wool. And this is where New Zealand looks fundamentally different compared to a lot of countries around the globe. You know, extracting from the global financial crisis, we've just got these one-off shot in the arms they're going to help us ride through in the next three to six months. They, in isolation, will not deliver economic nirvana. They are one-off hits. But they're hitting New Zealand at the precisely the right time, considering the global challenges that are starting to emerge. The government and the New Zealand Rugby Union have had to guarantee a hosting fee of $110 million. That pales in comparison to the hundreds of millions of dollars put in by councils, the government and community groups to upgrade stadiums and get the areas around them ready to go. One of the biggest costs has been the $190 million spruce up of Eden Park, here amongst all the bungalows and villas of Mount Eden in central Auckland. One side of it's now dominated by what looks like a giant scaffolding, but it's actually the back of the specially erected temporary stand. It looks down over a group of new hospitality marquees, and it's one of two new stands that have been built to bring Eden Park up to scratch before the World Cup. The Prime Minister, John Key, says the work will have value far beyond the tournament. I think the assets that we've built as a result of the Rugby World Cup, whether it's the new um, Forsyth Bar Stadium in Dunedin or the upgrade of Eden Park, will serve New Zealand very well. I don't think they'll present themselves as the white elephants that we've seen through other international sporting events in other countries. The IRB says its contribution is the tens of millions of dollars it costs to provide administrators to run the tournament, to help some teams get here and to pay for the anti-doping programme. And it gets all the profits. This year, an estimated $180 million from mainly broadcasting rights and sponsorship. So where does it all go? The IRB's chief executive, Mike Miller, says straight back into the game. All that money goes out to 117 um, unions around the world. In this four-year cycle, we're spending about $300 million New Zealand dollars, $34 million of which is being spent in the Pacific region. About 12 million comes back to New Zealand and the rest goes to the islands and the other unions. The 1987 Cup veteran Buck Shelford says there's no doubt the tournament needs to make money to develop the game. But he says much of the investment seems to go to administration at the top level while the grassroots game is suffering. We don't get money coming down from the top end back into the club level. You know, a lot of money is pumped back into professionals but very little of it is pumped back into the amateur world into the clubs, whereas the clubs need the money to actually develop their coaches, develop their players, and uh, to carry out coaching programs, things like that. The professional game is, is working fairly well, 
but the amateur game at the lower level is struggling like hell. The IRB's Mike Miller says apart from specific development programmes, it's up to unions to decide how the money's spent domestically. He says holding the tournament in New Zealand has come at a cost to the IRB. The French event in 2007 earned $240 million, $60 million more than the New Zealand tournaments expected to deliver. It's a small marketplace, and so therefore you have less competition. So that's why we're down 30% on the money that we have in, because if you're in, in England or France, you have a number of companies who want to compete with each other. For sponsorship? For, for, for sponsorship yeah, yeah. and for, for broadcasting and, and everything else. Also, costs are relatively high as well, because, again, there's no competition or there's less competition, um, and things need to be imported. So, you know, again, costs, costs are higher. Um, but it's worth it, though. I mean, this is... One of the spiritual homes of rugby, one of the only two countries in the world where, where rugby is the national sport. Everyone wants to come to New Zealand to see what it's like and to see what rugby is, is like here. So, um, yeah, there are a few extra problems by being here, but it's well worth it. Even with the financial sacrifice of holding the tournament here, few would argue that the IRB is doing quite nicely, thank you. But what about the New Zealand Rugby Union? The company set up to run the cup for it says ticket sales are on track at 1140000 taking it to 85% of its revenue target. But the head of the New Zealand Association of Event Professionals, Anne Heinsen, says making money is rarely an option for those directly running large events. In most cases, profit isn't what drives them because they'll never be profitable. They have to have significant government, um, private sector and often international sports bodies contribution to even help them to, to actually be hosted. The Rowing World Championships in Hamilton was expected to break even but in the final wash-up came up $2 million short. Ms Heinsen says given all the variables it's problematic to promise balanced books. I guess one of the difficulties with these major events is that when they're first bid for, there is a budget that has to be prepared and it's based on a whole lot of assumptions that are often four years out from the event. So um, there is an initial budget that's, that um, I guess gets signed off and gets, gets government funding and, and other key stakeholder funding. And over that period, then the budget, like anything, um, does does get whittled down. There, there can be factors that change. It can be based on, you know, numbers attending, funding that might have might have come in, sponsorship. So there's a whole lot of variables that that can change. But she says there's more than money to measuring the success of an event. You have to look at it in the context of what were the outcomes they wanted to achieve. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't worry about the financial one. Of course you should, and everyone would be the first to say that. But it did amazing things for rowing and, and it certainly was, if you talk to anyone who went there and from the international feedback, certainly it showed New Zealand could deliver a world-class event and we are strong at rowing so it reinforced a whole lot of things there. It, it enabled the developments at Carapiro. So, you know, there's a whole lot of other things that you have to put in the picture.
Organisers of this year's tournament have said by far the biggest difficulty has been the Christchurch earthquake. The city had been a key part of the cup, playing host to six pool matches and two quarterfinals. But AMI Stadium was damaged beyond repair, as was much of the infrastructure and amenities needed to accommodate tens of thousands of extra tourists. The Rugby World Cup Minister, Murray McCulley, says it's too early to say how that will affect the cup's economic success. From the tournament point of view, uh, we had to send back about $30 million worth of uh, cheques to people who purchased tickets, which was not the sort of thing we were looking to do at that stage of the marketing programme. But uh, there's been a good uptake of the uh, tickets for the replacement matches. We've still got um, some work to do around the quarterfinals events that have been shifted from Christchurch to Auckland. Uh, and uh, that'll be ongoing because, of course, no one's going to know who's playing those two games here until quite late. And it's a, a market that's already been fairly heavily sold into. The head of the Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce, Peter Townsend, says businesses in the town had been all geared up for the cup before the earthquake. He says he's put the loss into perspective given the wider impact of the quake, but it still stings. The overall economic impact of the earthquake, yeah, multi-billion dollar impact, um, and it's going to take us a long time to get through that. And I guess in that context, the loss of the Rugby World Cup is not that significant from a monetary perspective. But from the terms, point of view of the morale of the community, from the point of view of, of Christchurch being able to show off so much of what it had and you know, being the... Uh, uh, accepted leaders in rugby in New Zealand, pretty devastating to lose the event. Mr Townsend says businesses had been relishing the thought of 40,000 overseas visitors and many had put in extensive preparations. We had a purpose-built stadium, uh, we were all set to go, we had the most magnificent hospitality support capability in the city, uh, we, we have a rugby-orientated community that was just ready to go off and it was going to be used as something to really reinforce the strength of our community here in Canterbury and all of the planning pre-earthquake was right on track to, to really make a big fuss of World Cup in Canterbury. Now we've lost all of that. The economist Cameron Bagri says losing the games may have been a blow to Christchurch but he doubts it will affect the overall economic success of the cup around the country. What we're seeing at the moment is of course it's Christchurch's loss but those games have been reallocated to other regions around New Zealand so they've become the, the, the winners out of this. If you sit there and you look at it I guess holistically from a top down perspective in terms of where New Zealand stands at the moment you know, nothing much has really changed. An events planner Anne Heinsen who was also heavily involved in Christchurch's official cup preparations says all is not lost. She says with so many international eyes on New Zealand Christchurch has a chance to let people know it's getting back on its feet. Telling that message clearly to international media and international visitors and showing that the whole of the country hasn't hasn't shut down as the result of the earthquake, which, you know, um, can be the perception out there. And Mr Townsend says wider Canterbury will still be doing all it can to draw tourists, especially those with time to kill between games. And he believes even downtown Christchurch will be a drawcard. As sad as it sounds, some people will be interested in seeing the damage that has been caused by the earthquake and we accept that uh, we don't want to make it a tourist attraction but we accept that people are interested in our earthquake and that's fine. The government says Christchurch may be losing out on having games but it still stands to benefit from the long-term impact that the cup will bring to the whole country. And they want to use the cloud, the purpose-built centre here on Auckland's waterfront to help build those long-term connections 
the final preparations are taking place here under this long plastic building that sits between Auckland's ferry terminal and its port. There are workers all over the place putting the finishing touches to the exhibition space. Under this long curved white roof there are now big balloon shaped lights hanging down. There are banners with pictures of tasty New Zealand treats like mini pavlovas and rare lamb. The Rugby World Cup Minister Murray McCulley says he hopes people use the gaps between games to check out what's on offer here. My own sense is that um, at a very basic level, uh, people who are going to a couple of games of rugby in a week are also looking to, to learn a bit of stuff, to see what's interesting about New Zealand. And if we have a central precinct like this where they can enjoy their time, taste some good food, some good New Zealand wine and uh, see some of the finest stuff we produce in the area of biotech and filmmaking, fashion, you name it, it'll be here for them to see. Mr McCulley says the real benefits to New Zealand from the Cup will be its exposure to the world. He says there'll be many business people here and many more will see New Zealand on television. But aren't they all just here to watch a game of footy? I don't think so. See, my experience of these things is that um, they want to come and see a good game of rugby. They also want to see some good food and, uh, and beverages, but they are alert to the opportunities to do business. I want anyone who's uh, going to call this a business trip to have a great story to tell the Revenue Authority about why the visit had to be tax deductible when they get home. The Wellington City Council is one of many around the country who are banking on returns from the Cup. There's no special structure like Auckland's cloud, but a giant screen's being set up just back from the waterfront. So this is the fan zone. It's got a capacity of about 3,000 people. Uh, it will uh, broadcast every game. And in between that, those times... Sitting close to where all the activity will be happening, the director of the city's Rugby World Cup activities, Derek Fry, says it's spending about $1.4 million preparing for the tournament and the festival surrounding it. This is a pretty prudent budget, I'd have to say. Notwithstanding that it's money well spent, but we fund uh, $950,000 per year for the two-year uh, International Festival of the Arts. So the International Festival of the Arts, once every two years, the city contributes uh, $1.9 million. He estimates the net commercial gain will be about $45 million for the city and says the council will test that after the event. But Mr Fry says Wellington's businesses are banking on building new relationships. He says he's already seen evidence of an international accounting firm opting to do business in New Zealand after the 2005 Lions tour. Some members of that same firm came down from London to watch the DHL Lions test here, the second test. Uh, decided that they had such a good time here uh, that they'd, they'd awarded the contract to, to the Wellington firm rather than the Singapore firm, just on the basis of they had a good time. So those sort of kind of a, not eclectic or friendship-based or entertainment-based connections. We, we expect them to be made throughout the tournament here. But will those kind of one-off introductions really be worth the investment in the tournament? The Chief Executive of Business New Zealand, Phil O'Reilly, says many companies around New Zealand are ready to take full advantage of what he calls a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. From a business perspective, I think that we have to make our way in the world based on international trade and that New Zealand's reputation matters in getting, retaining margins and values and market access and international trade. You've got to say an investment like this is good in terms of burnishing our reputation. It needs to be done well though, it needs to be executed well. But if those things happen, and I've got no reason to suspect it won't, then I think uh, hopefully we'll look back in 10 years' time and say, gee, that was a great investment and, uh, and by the way, the AB's won.
The Reserve Bank's senior economics adviser Michael Riddell says New Zealand may get great exposure during the Cup, but it's much more difficult to say if that will turn into cold, hard cash for years to come. An awful lot of business these days is about relationships, and relationships uh, are partly formed and strengthened through activities like um, Rugby World Cup and um, bringing people to New Zealand. Um, but it's unlikely to be a transformative effect. It's an incremental helpful um, impact. If you're talking about the sort of things that make five percentage points difference to the level of GDP, this is unlikely to be one of those things. But things that make you know a quarter or half a percent of uh, a lift to GDP that lasts uh, are quite big. They'll always be hard to see looking back and to prove that it was down to the Rugby World Cup or to this or to that or the other thing. But, but they are real gains. And if enough businesses are positioned to take advantage of those opportunities and of people coming to New Zealand, um, then the benefits may well be real. The New Zealand Institute of Economic Research agrees the benefits are hard to measure, but its economist Shamabil Jacob says there's been much anecdotal evidence to suggest they exist. We know, for example, after the Lord of the Rings, we had some pretty substantial benefits in terms of New Zealand's profile. A lot of people associated with us in a very positive way. But can we say that there are 10,000 more people coming to New Zealand because of it? No. So it's very hard to uh, sort of tell the difference between these things. But generally speaking, these things do have benefits that accrue over a very long period of time and very difficult to separate out from everything else that's happening at the same time. The ANZ economist Cameron Bagri believes the legacy effect is real and tangible, even if it's frustrating to try to quantify it. But is it enough to make up the $39 million the government will lose? Uh, five to ten years, I suspect, will be a bit of a stretch, but if you, if you took that out 20 to 30, yeah, maybe then you're in a, in a, in a break-even range. But yeah, that is a very subjective as opposed to an objective assessment. There are just a few days to go until the kick-off for the first Rugby World Cup game between New Zealand and Tonga. But just how much of an economic effect the Cup has may not be known for much longer. The Prime Minister John Key says either way he'll have no regrets. At some point, you know, as a developed country, you've got to spend some money uh, to demonstrate to the rest of the world that you know, you're a serious go-ahead you know, country that's doing well. And I'm happy with the investment. The Reserve Bank has shied away from making the ultimate call, will the cup be worth it? But its senior economics adviser Michael Riddell says it's about more than accounting. In many respects you can think of this as um, a gigantic party. It's going to be a, a very exciting, stimulating time for New Zealanders. A lot of people will have a, a, an excellent time. Long-term economic effects of that um, are, are more questionable. They may well be real. Um, we'll in some ways never know. The net effects in terms of lifting our growth potential, ultimately are probably less important than the, um, the, the experience of the cup itself. So is it like you don't make money on your wedding? Yeah, indeed. You set, you set up the foundations for your life. Your life's a happier, more successful thing out of that relationship that's formed. Um, but you don't do it to generate GDP. That Radio New Zealand Insight was written and presented by Rowan Quinn. It was produced by Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by William Saunders.